We are in the sixth week of our wisdom series. We've got a couple more weeks going here. Um, wisdom is one of those things that we can't ever probably get enough of, you know, and talk about enough. Uh, so this week, as I was preparing, though, I was just doing a little light, you know, internet browsing, looking for some, some ways to get, kick this message off. And so what I found was the, uh, the top 25 fall from grace stories in history right? That's probably not a list you want to be on, if we're honest. Like, you don't want to be on that list. But um, I'm sure some of us have had, you know, little falls from grace here and there. But I picked out, I picked out three to focus on this morning, and, and I'll tie this in in a second here. But the first one is this guy, Lance Armstrong, right? Uh, gosh, he, he won the, the Tour de France after beating cancer and, and the Live Strong stuff, and, and he won seven consecutive Tour de France's from 1999 to 2005, right? But then in 2012, all of those were voided when an investigation showed that Armstrong had taken performance-enhancing drugs. I used to love to watch, like when the Tour de France would come on, it was usually on some random channel, like up in some weird numbers, but when it would come on, it was like, oh, dude, I would totally stop and like watch the Tour de France, and especially when, when he was in it, because what he was doing was incredible, right? The, the, the feats of, of just winning this race and, and just being just a beast, and it was such a bummer. It was so disappointing to hear the news that, that he had actually, you know, cheated and used, used these performance-enhancing drugs, and, and, you know, and he basically never rebounded from that. His career ended as a cyclist, and even he'd done some movie stuff, and, and then nobody would touch him after that. Then, then there's this guy, Mel Gibson, right? Uh, he was an A-list star. He was in some of the, the, the best movies, in my opinion, of all time. The Lethal Weapon movies, I mean, really. You know, the Mad Max, the original three, those were really crazy and cool. Um, the Patriot was a good one, and then, of course, there's Braveheart, right? I mean, Braveheart, you watch it, and you want to go run through a wall for no reason, but it's just with an axe or something, you know? It's like, but it was, those were great movies. But then in 2006, Gibson, he's arrested uh, for driving under the influence, right? And, and as he's being arrested, he goes on this crazy, angry tirade and very vocally uh, starts blaming uh, the Jews for all the, world, or the wars in the world and makes all these crazy anti-Semitic like, claims and, and statements. And it was like, oh, what are you doing right now? And of course, it was all caught on, on film and, and somebody's you know, recording it. And Hollywood blacklisted him. Right? Hollywood blacklisted him for quite a few years. And, and again, uh, uh, you know, he's done. And it's crazy, too. He just got done making that movie about Jesus, right? Like the fashion. Like, oh, what are you doing right now? The, like, anyway, so there, you know, another fall from grace story. And then uh, this one, Tiger Woods, right? You had Tiger Woods, who was a sports superstar before he was a sports superstar, right? He, he was learning, you know, learning how to play golf and just doing amazing things before he became a pro. And then in 1996, he became a pro on the PGA Tour. And, and he was called, you know, he's been called the most successful golfer of all time. And at one point, he was the highest paid athlete for several years running in the entire world, not just from his golf stuff, but from all of the sponsorships and all of the commercials and all the things that he was doing. But then, in 2009, Woods was exposed, exposed as a serial cheater. He had had numerous affairs cheating on his wife, and it, and it came out that he had a, a sex addiction and this, all these problems, and his career and his, and his you know, the, the, his brands dropped him. The PGA wouldn't, they were like, okay, we're not, you know, touching this. And, and it was just such a bummer to watch uh, this guy who was at the top of his game, take this incredible header and, and, and fall from, uh, 
from grace, right? Now, with Tiger's story, there's been a little bit of redemption, right? He's kind of bounced back, which is, I mean, God can redeem anybody, and God can redeem any situation. And so you look at that, and I don't, I'm, I don't know if Tiger's a Christ follower or not, but definitely his, his reputation and, and his life has, has, has bounced back a little bit, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy, right? It hasn't been easy. He's gone through terrible, like, you know, injuries and things like that and just dealing with his, his own mental stuff. You know, he's not, I don't know, I watch golf a lot. I play it quite a bit. He's not the same golfer that he was mentally, such as, you know, so he hasn't completely rebounded. And you might be thinking, like, gosh, thanks for the pick-me-up start to this message. I know. It's a bit of a bummer. It's a bit of a downer for sure, these, these you know, these three examples. And then again, there was, there was uh, 22 more of them on there, which was just, it was actually quite fascinating. But, um, When I researched these stories more and more, there was one common theme that I gathered uh, from them, and that was this, that these men, their fall from grace didn't happen overnight. It wasn't something that happened like that, right? It wasn't like a light switch. No, it was a slow dial turn, right? Uh, In fact, all of these men, if you you listen to interviews and you read, you know, the stories about them and and that sort of thing, you, you, you begin to see this pattern of just making poor choices, some very small at first, these little poor choices that after making that choice, it became a little easier to make another poor choice that was maybe a little bit bigger and then make another poor choice that was maybe a little bit bigger and then they compile on top of each other and, and then all of a sudden their life is, is steamrolling in a direction that they don't know how to fix, they don't know how to handle, they don't know how to take care of and then it lands them in a lot of trouble, right? All these men drifted away from what they knew was right. They drifted away from what they knew was, was sound. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe not to the extent of, of these guys, hopefully not, good grief, you know, um, but maybe, you know, maybe you've, you've drifted, you've, you've walked away from what you know is sound, right? I, I know I heard it said uh, this last week that, that um, we are all just three to four bad decisions away from being homeless, right? And then you can take that a step further. We're, we're three or four bad decisions away from, from cheating on our significant others or our spouses, right? We're all three or four bad decisions away from, from doing something stupid at our work that gets us fired, right? Making good decisions, having wisdom, um, and, and le- having our lives, leading our lives with wisdom, godly wisdom is so, so important, and that's what this series is, has been all about, right? But here's the thing, falling from grace can happen to any of us. It can happen to you, it can happen to me, and, and you know, I, it's easy when we're not in that situation to point the finger, to point the judgment finger and go, oh man, that's bummer to be you, like, oh, I can't even imagine, right? But it's actually in those times, if you've ever had, even not like a giant fall, but like something where you just are kind of at the bottom, you know, you're in a, you're in a hole, you're just in, a, in yuck, or you're surrounded by, you know, you don't know how to get out of it. If you've ever had and been in those moments, I know I've shared uh, before from here that, that uh, when I was in high school, I got kicked out of high school my junior year of high school, right? I got kicked out for doing, I went to a school, I was a Christian private school, I went to a school that, you, you know, you're not allowed to do drugs and drink and all that kind of stuff, and I signed a contract saying I wasn't going to do that, and I did all of those things, right? And it came out that I had done those things, and so my junior year, I got kicked out. And I was overwhelmed. The only reason, I know the only reason that I, that I kept going after Jesus and kept pursuing the, you know, a, a, a life that was pleasing to God was because I had people that were around me that were investing in me that showed me grace, that prayed for me, that took me in spite of like all the, the yuck, the filth, the yucky things that I was doing in my life, and, 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 and they loved me regardless of those things, and they loved me through those things. And that's the thing, when we, when we see these falls from grace, it's, it's actually, that's the best time to extend grace, right? And to begin to pray. 
Uh, and, and I know in that situation for me and in some of the other times that I've struggled and, 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 and had harder times in life, when I drifted away from what I knew was right, it was because I had a heart condition. It was a spiritual heart condition, a spiritual heart issue. So I want to ask this question as we get going this morning, how do I keep my heart from drifting away from God? How do we keep our hearts from drifting away from God? So again, this morning we're looking at the life of Solomon right? We've seen uh, through the last six weeks that Solomon and, and his life, he, he, was this, he was the son of David, the King, king David. He took over as king uh, after David was, was done being king, and um, he was actually David's 10th son. And when he took over the reign of Israel as king, uh, he, didn't, he, he really felt inadequate. He felt like he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't feel like he was ready to, to be the king. And so he asked God for help, and God basically said, I'm going to give you one thing, anything you desire, you ask for it, and I'm going to give it to you. And so Solomon asks for wisdom, and this pleases God. And out of that, Israel experiences um, one of the, 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 the biggest and best times in that nation's history. It's called the golden era of Israel because they were so rich and so wealthy and had so much influence, and it was all because Solomon had asked for wisdom. But in stark contrast, now we're at the end of Solomon's life. And it seems as if Solomon has just pushed all that wisdom and all that experience to the wayside. And he's in the middle of this fall from grace. In fact, he's like running, jumping, diving headfirst into this fall from grace. And we're going to pick up our story here in in 1 Kings 10. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can do that. Or if you have your phones, you can break those out and show up to 1 Kings 10, 23. You can follow along. If you have your actual Bible, there are actually little bins under the chairs that have little flashlights in it if it's a little too dark in here. It's either like surface of the sun bright in here or dark. There's no two, you know, it's so, so. We have little flashlights for you. So um, yeah, you can use those if you want to. They're in the little bins in your chairs. Um, But go ahead and turn there with me, and and we'll read these together. The first first part of of this passage that we're going to look at is is basically just an overview of what it is that, like, uh, Solomon's wisdom and his greatness. So starting in verse 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than any any, that all of the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, this is verse 25, year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver, gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. So he was originally married to Pharaoh's daughter, and he actually then got married to quite a few other ladies. We'll see here in a minute. The, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Check this out. This is mind-blowing. Verse 3, he had 700 wives of royal birth. And if that wasn't enough, he had 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. This is the no duh moment. I mean, Solomon, really right now? Are you kidding me? That's so much influence. Uh, in, in modern culture, it's usually frowned upon to have more than one spouse, right? And so, um, you know, we, we get married. And, but if, think about it. If you're married or you've, you've experienced or you've seen marriage, like it's work, right? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. 
700 plus 300? 1,000? Are you kidding me right now? That's insane. So no wonder Solomon is kind of off his rocker and he's going a different, I mean, I don't know, maybe not. But um, verse 4, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On the On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all uh, of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And then in verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, and I want to pause here because the English language does not do it justice, right? This is, this is the translation from the original Hebrew, and it doesn't do it. Since this is your attitude doesn't sum up what is happening here, what God is calling out in Solomon's life. Basically what God is saying is, since this is you, this is you, this is who you've become, this is the way that I view you now. You've made all these poor choices. You've you neglected the wisdom that I've given you. This is who you've become. This is you. He's calling out Solomon's character and, and his core, his heart, right? Continuing with verse 11, And you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Those last couple verses, we get to see an Old Testament God that's extending mercy. Solomon's completely moved away from following the Lord, and yet even in in that, he's showing compassion, and he's showing kindness to Solomon. And it's it's because of David. Remember David, a man after... God's own heart. And so he's showing grace and mercy in this situation. See, Solomon, he falls into the same category as the guys that we mentioned before. He had a spiritual heart condition. He had let his heart turn away from God, and he was influenced by all these other gods and these other peoples, mostly his wives, that God told him that he shouldn't marry in the first place. So he's being influenced in a negative way. And so when it comes to our hearts, we need to recognize there's a battle going on for our hearts. There's a battle going on for your heart. Much like our physical hearts, our spiritual hearts need to be taken care of. They need to be protected. If the enemy can get a hold of our hearts, man, he can really wreak some havoc in our lives. Look at this this highlighted passage here of of what we just read. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. See, this was not something, again, that happened overnight. Those first four words, as Solomon grew old. This is something that that happened over time. Solomon's spiritual heart condition developed over time because he wasn't fully devoted for the Lord. I get this picture in my mind of a very small crack in a rock. And then when water fills that crack, and if it happens to freeze, that water expands, and it slowly pushes that rock apart because the water freezing is actually stronger than the rock itself. And you might not notice it at first, you might not see it at first, but over time, the more water fills in, the more it freezes, the more it expands, you will see those cracks expand. And that's the way sin, if we let it run rampant in our life, it usually doesn't start with a big head dive into sin, you know, head first. No, it usually starts small. 
a super small sliver that we allow into our hearts, that we allow into our lives, and then Satan, just like that ice, expands it. And then we let it in a little more, and he expands it a little more. And he festers, and he takes advantage of us. And then we get to a place where we have a spiritual heart condition, much like Solomon uh, is, is experiencing right now. See, we, we know that, that Solomon, he had the foundation, but he didn't recognize anymore that there was really like a spiritual battle going on for his heart. And that same battle is happening f- for our hearts. You know, so that's why we constantly need to be checking in with God and, and we need to identify the gods I'm tempted to follow. Right? What are the gods that we're tempted to follow? Again, for Solomon, he was choosing some actual, although not real, gods right? They, were, they weren't real gods. They were these gods of these other, these other lands or whatever, but they weren't real. Um, he followed Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech and, and Chemosh. And Molech, again, is mentioned there. Um, Ashtoreth was the goddess of the Sidonians and also the, the goddess of nature and fertility and love, right? Then, then there was this Molech uh, god, which um, it says he was detestable, right? He was the chief deity of the, of the Ammonites. And, and here's the crazy thing with that one. Um, People that followed Molech believed that they were to sacrifice their children to him. That's why it says it was detestable, right? That's, that's just gross. And then you got Chemosh, that's, his name meant destroyer or subduer or like under my foot, I will crush you sort of thing. And then they again mentioned Molech as being incredibly detestable. Here's the thing. When it came to these gods, these gods asked for everything from those people and then gave nothing in return. And then in contrast to the God that we believe in, the God that we believe in asks for our lives, asks for our hearts, which is big. That's a big deal. But then gives us everything in full abundance back to us, right? When we give our lives to Jesus, when we give our lives to God, he gives us everything back. Do you see the, the difference there? One is, this, these are completely selfish gods where we have a God that is unselfish, that wants to, to, again, just bless us over and over and over again when we follow him. So these are the gods that Solomon started to follow later in his life, and it makes you wonder for a guy who, who had such vast wisdom, like, what the heck happened here, right? What happened here? And I think part of what is going on in Solomon's life is this, that he was putting these gods in front of the, the one true God in his life. And anytime that we, we put anything in front of God in our lives, there's a chance that we're, that's going to take our focus off of God. And while like, our gods are the things that we put ahead of God, not, they're not as horrible as, as, as these gods for sure, um, but they can still cause distraction. They can still totally lead us astray from the one true God. And our modern gods probably look a lot different right, than, than, than these gods for sure, but nonetheless, they can totally... Uh, lead us astray if we're not careful, if we put them in front of God in our lives as the top priority in our lives. So I think it's important to recognize and ask this question, uh, who or what are the gods in our lives? What are the things in our lives that we could potentially put in front of God to take the top spot in our lives? Now, I came up with this little list here, and you might look at it at first and be like, oh, nah, there's no way that these things, and then you think about it a little bit more, no, Things like your career. We work and work and work and work and work and work and work, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't been to church in three months. Putting God in front, you know, putting our career. We, we you know, our significant other, uh, our, our children, money, status, our appearance, pleasure, right? Your, your social media followers. 
right? Well, these things aren't necessarily bad. I, I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that these things are bad things, but when they take the place of God as the top spot, the top priorities in our lives, and they get more attention and more focus than, than we give to God, then that's when things can go sideways pretty quickly. You know, for me, I know probably if I'm looking at this list, one of the things that I, I, I struggle with the most is, is status, especially status when it comes to PB. Because um, if, I, if I pull the curtain back completely, it's one of those things where, like, I, I want people to know me, and I want to be known by people, selfishly, you know? Like, I just want to, I want to be known around this community. And yes, the things that God's doing through this church and me and whatever, like, that's good too. But, and I have to check myself, like, constantly. I have to check myself and make sure that I'm not putting too much weight on my status in this community. Because what that does, when I put so much weight on that status then I'm taking the focus of others and myself off of God, and that's where I want it to be ultimately. I want everything that I do and everything that I say and, and all the, the, the things that I get to be a part of in this community to if, essentially reflect God in every way in my life. But when I focus too much on my status and I put that ahead of God, then it focuses on me, and that's backwards. That's backwards. That's not where I want it to be. So I think it's important to just look and see and, and identify who... Who could potentially be your gods? Does that list strike a, a chord with anybody else? Any of those things on there? But here's the thing. Those people, those things, are actually increased in our lives when I'm putting God first. When I'm putting God first, I, I, I realize that... I realize that uh, um, that I can actually be a better husband or a better spouse, a better father. I can do better things with my money when I'm putting God first in my life. And again, these things aren't necessarily bad, but when they take the place of God as the top priority in our lives, that's when our attention and our focus go sideways, right? We look at this uh, passage in James. James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. Again, those things that I mentioned before, they're not evil, they're not bad, but when they replace God as the top spot in our life, that's a slippery slope. And here's the thing, we have to make an either-or decision, not a both-and decision, right? Our, home, our hearts can only be loyal to one God. Matthew puts it this way, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one you love, or sorry, hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And of course, Matthew is speaking about money because money can definitely take that top priority in our lives. So when I make sure that God is first in my life, then all of these things, I actually view them through God's eyes. I view them through God's love and through God's grace. And so when, when I increase God in my life, then these people are, and these things are actually increased in my life to, to, to bring glory to His name, to bring glory to Him. When I'm putting God first in my heart, the view of my wife and my kids, uh, I view them through God's eyes, and I want to serve them more. I want to do a better job of being a father and, and a husband. When I am putting God first in my heart, I realize that, that money, that my money's not my money, that it's God's money. So let God do with it what he wants to do with it. I'm the one that has to just be willing, right? When I'm putting God first in my heart, and, you know, with, my, with regards to my status or, or pleasure or comfort or followers or whatever, when I view all of those things through God and the way that God views those things, 
Gosh, I'm going to grow closer to him and I'm going to be, again, a better representation of who God is in my life to other people. But in order to do that, we need to take steps to be proactive and guard our hearts, right? Proactively guard our hearts. I, I mentioned this verse two weeks ago when I got to preach. It's, it's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Not just some things, not just things on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. No, everything you do flows from it. See, our hearts need guarding from, from many things. Here's a few examples. When, when we get hurt, when someone hurts us, our hearts need to be guarded in that situation because if we let that unresolved hurt fester in there, it's going to turn into resentment or bitterness, right? If, if, if we uh, guard our heart, you know, we need to guard our hearts against potentially destructive emotions like jealousy or envy or rage, anger, right? If we let those things go unchecked, gosh, they can rule the day in our lives, we need to guard our hearts um, from, from becoming too tied to those things we listed before, putting those things ahead of God in our lives. That's not guarding your heart. That's not protecting our hearts. When we guard our hearts, we put good teachings into it. We put good things into our hearts. We've been saying this the entire series, get into God's Word. I know two weeks ago I challenged you to just start reading Proverbs and read a proverb a day. Today is the 13th. You should be on Proverbs 13, Right? Oh, yeah, good reminder, Tony. I know. It's all right. So start today again. Read Proverbs 13. Get into God's Word. Spend time with God on a daily basis. If you want to guard your heart, know His Word. If you want to guard your heart, spend time with God. That way we get to know God better. We get to know His character. We get to know His love and, 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 and everything that is good about God. Right? When we know God's Word and we guard our hearts, it, it helps us with this. It helps us know our vulnerabilities so we can protect ourselves from the things that might lead us astray. I think most of us know where our vulnerabilities lie. Like if we did kind of like a heart check, we know kind of where our vulnerabilities lie. We can sense when things are maybe starting to go south. I, I was at a men's conference last, last weekend, uh, that's why I wasn't here, and, and the, the teacher at the conference said this, and this is a statement that really stuck with me. He said, in idle times is where sin can thrive. In idle times is where sin can, th- can thrive. If I'm bored or left to my own devices for too long, that's when my vulnerabilities start to show up. That's when my vulnerabilities start to show up. That's where the, the, the chinks in my spiritual armor, uh, you can really see those, those holes in my armor, right? This has a little bit to do with my character, who it is when, when nobody's around. But I need to know my vulnerabilities. Uh, I've been doing this thing called intermittent fasting um, for a little while now. For me, it was just more of a, a way to get a little bit more energy and just to feel a little bit better. So I did some research and I figured out, I'm like, oh, this might be something to try. And so if you don't know what that is, basically what I do is, is around 7, between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock uh, every night, I have kind of my last meal for the day, right? And then I don't eat again until the next day, somewhere between like 11 and 12.30, depending on what's going on. And so my body is fasting that whole time. And, and what I've found for me is that my workouts are better. I feel like I'm, I'm um, actually I'm losing fat and I'm gaining muscle, which is a good thing, right? It's a healthy thing. But there's also a spiritual aspect to it too, like a spiritual part of, of fasting. It's a spiritual discipline. When I start to get hungry and I go, oh man, I start to thank God. God, thank you that I have a cupboard at home that has food in it that I can go get food in. Thank you that I have a refrigerator that's full of stuff. And even if it's like 
stuff I don't necessarily like. It's still food. It's still substance. It's still so much more than a lot of people have. Thank you for the blessings in my life. And God, show me ways then that I could bless other people that maybe don't have these things. They don't have these options in, in their lives, right? So there's, there's twofold. But again, uh, I've, I've just been doing this to, to really feel better ab- about myself and, and uh, hopefully grow a little stronger. But here's the thing. When I'm, when I'm coming towards the end of my daily fast, that's when some serious temptation comes in. And that's where I have to make sure that I know my vulnerabilities, right? Because I, I need to plan ahead with how I'm going to break that fast. Because at that point, I am hungry and I desire food. And so I know that I should eat lean meats. I know that I should eat vegetables and, you know, good grains and good legumes, right? Uh, beans and stuff like that. That was just a, that's just a fun word to say. Legumes. Nobody says it. Try ordering that at a restaurant another time. <laughs> like a side of legumes and see what they do. Um, anyways, uh, that's the th- I know those are the things I should be eating, Right? But then I drive by in and out. And that double-double with cheese, why not make it some animal-style fries and a milkshake sounds seriously good right there. Again, I know I'm vulnerable in that moment, right? I'm hungry. My body desires food. And in fact, a lot of times, I, you could deep-fry a shoe in those times, and I'd eat it. I'm just hungry, right? But, but here's the thing. Knowing that I'm vulnerable in that moment... I can make proactive choices to protect myself from eating food that I know I shouldn't on a regular basis, right? Simple things, things like packing a lunch before I leave for the day. That's one, you know, with good and and healthier foods, that can make a huge difference. Uh, If I know that I'm going to drive by, I I drive the same route all the time. If I know I'm going to drive by in and out, I go a different way, right? Or any other food that could possibly be, you know, I don't want to break my fast with. <clears throat> there are bunches of ways that we can do this. I, my wife, we're tied together on our, on our, our what's it called? Our, our, our check card, right? Our, our thank you. <laughs> Sheesh, I'm all doo-doo-doo. Um, yeah, tie, and so she can call me out if she sees, hey, uh, you went in and out three times last week. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on here, right? Those are just different ways that I can make sure that I'm protected from my vulnerabilities. And this is so true with our spiritual lives as well. Um, When we know that we struggle with fill in the blank, right? You know what you struggle with. I know what I struggle with. So when we know we we struggle with anger or jealousy or envy or, or, you know, any of those things that could potentially lead us towards um, sin, you know, don't sit in those vulnerabilities. Look those vulnerabilities. If If you're in a sin pattern, if you're in a sin pattern in your life and you just cannot get out of your life, it will do you no good to attack the sin head on. You have to know where the sin started. You have to go back to that vulnerability that exposed, that started that sin pattern. And that's where you need to address it. You will beat that sin over the head time after time after time and never, ever be free from it in your life if you don't identify the root of the sin. It's so important to know your vulnerabilities. Right? Don't sit there idle and think that everything is going to be okay because it's not know your vulnerabilities and protect yourself from them this is just one of the ways where solomon went astray right the lord had told the israelites you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods nevertheless solomon held fast to them in love see god told the israelites and specifically solomon not to intermarry with these people because he knew it posed a threat on their hearts on their spiritual hearts But Solomon ignored God's warning, and he ignored God's commands. So let me ask you, 
Where do you tend to be vulnerable? I don't want any answers out here. You need to keep that to yourself. But where do you tend to be vulnerable? If you haven't identified those vulnerabilities in your life, you should. You should. It's so important to know where you're most vulnerable and then proactively guard your heart against those things. Another way that we proactively guard our hearts is to transform our struggles into prayers, right? Take our worries. God, take my worries. Take my anxiousness. Take the things that preoccupy me uh, and distract me and, and, and get ahead of me and, and, and cloud my vision of, of you. God, help me to, to take all of those things and, and give them to you. I don't want those things to take, uh, you know, uh, attention or uh, my affection away from you, God. So, I, God, I need you to come. I need you to take those away from me in my life. Now, I know you're probably thinking, okay, you're the guy with the microphone and the pastor, and so you're supposed to say, turn them to God, right? Um, that's the spiritual thing to do. It's not easy. It takes work. It's difficult. It's probably going to be a day after day after day after day thing. God, I struggled with this. I'm struggling with this today. I struggled with it yesterday, and I, chances are I'm going to struggle with it tomorrow. God, help me to see where I'm vulnerable. Help me to identify the roots, and then help me. God, I, I can't do it on my own. Help me, help me, help me. I know for me personally, I, I struggle off and on with like anxiousness and, and worry. Um, and, and that can be totally distraction, distracting in my lives sometimes, right? I, I, and I have to present that to God. This, this week, 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning on Tuesday morning, I'm wide awake and my mind is racing. I've got a billion things that I've got to make sure that I take care of and, and, and I, I just cannot get a hold of it and I'm starting to panic and I'm alone. My, my wife's right there next to me in bed, but I'm alone in this and I'm kind of freaking out. And so what, and, and just, it was not a me thing. This was a total God thing. God said, you know, he just basically, it was like this whisper, like grab your phone and start writing all these things down in your phone and your notes. And so I did, and I sat there and I typed pretty feverishly at first. And as I'm doing that, I just felt like God saying, hey, you need to just pray through these things right now with me. Pray through this conversation that you're going to have to have. It's going to be tough. You know it's going to be tough, but pray. you need to be praying about it. Pray for your message preparation. God, pray for, you know, Tony, pray for your, you know, the, the, the volunteer appreciation that's going to happen. Pray for trunk or treat. Pray for all these different things that are coming up in my life. And, and it was, a, it was a, an awesome thing. Because I drifted off to sleep in about a half an hour, which that does not happen. That's not the pattern. Usually when I'm, when I'm awakened like that and it's this fever, like, oh, I got, you know, like I, I don't. I don't sleep again for the rest of that night. And this, this was different. It was such an amazing thing. You can ask my wife, when I get overwhelmed, um, I'm a different person. Right? I'm not the best father. I'm not the best representation of a father or a, or a husband or a spouse that I, that I can be. But then there's this verse. This verse, and, and this verse is something, if I could encourage you, keep this verse near you. Print it out, uh, you know, write it out, whatever it is. Stick it on your mirror, on your window, you know, in your bathroom. Put it on the front doors. You leave the house, whatever. Don't be anxious about anything. Again, don't be anxious about anything. Not just, don't be anxious about some things. Don't be anxious about just, you know, X, Y, and Z. No, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, I experienced the peace of God on Tuesday, night at, or Tuesday morning at 3.30 in the morning. That was the only reason I got to fall back asleep. I know it. 100% I know it. 
But look what is, comes before that. By prayer and petition in every situation. That's something I'm learning. I wish it was my go-to. I wish it was my default, but it's not. I usually sit there and try to figure it out for myself. Instead, I just need to give those things to God, place them at, at His feet. And I know when I, when I read a verse like this, and I have a verse like this on the forefront of my mind, this is what I'm doing. I'm filling my mind with what God values. Instead of the things that I value, instead of the things that freak me out, I'm filling my mind with what God values. Check out the very next verse in, in Philippians. This is so cool. This is what God wants us to focus on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know what you don't see in there? Whatever is, makes you anxious. Whatever makes you worried. Whatever keeps you up at night. Whatever the biggest fear you have in your life or the smallest fear. That's not in there. That's not in there. No, these are the things that God wants us to focus uh, on and, and, and make sure that we're keeping right in front of us at all times. Because see, this, that verse right there and then the two prior to it, that, that's what, this is what it's all about. Just daily heart checks. Daily heart checks that keep your heart healthy. And I'm, I'm going to say it again. Get into your Bible. Get into God's Word. Spend time with Him. Take opportunities every day to do these daily heart checks to keep your heart healthy. See, when Solomon started to stray... When we read through the life of Solomon in, in Scripture, we, we can, you can almost identify, you can almost pinpoint the moment that he started to stray was when he started letting all these foreign influences into his life. And it started off small, and then it grew, and then it grew, and then it grew. He was no longer making God the top priority in his life. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, he was spending more time with other gods than he was the one true God. This is crazy. So check out the contrast between Solomon at the end of his life and David at the end of his life. The top one is Solomon. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And then in contrast, this is right after David has totally messed up with Bathsheba, right? Uh, Took a woman that was not his wife, brought her in, slept with her, she became pregnant. He tries to cover the sin by having her husband taken to the front lines, and he's ultimately killed. And then he's called out, and then this is his response. When he's called out, when one of the priests calls out David, this is his response. Create in me a pure heart. Oh, God, and, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the difference there? This is probably one of the most heartbreaking aspects to Solomon's story and, and his legacy. It's because nothing in the account, nothing in the biblical account tells us that Solomon ever confessed his sin and ever turned back to God. And then we, we read about it earlier, what God is actually going to do. He's going to start to strip all these things away from Solomon and Solomon's life. And it's not going to only affect Solomon. It's going to affect his kingdom, and it's going to affect his, his legacy, his, his children. And it's crazy to think, like, looking at the full scope of Solomon's life, you know, what a contrast from the way that he started to the way that he finished, right? From this newbie king who, who didn't think that he knew how to rule Israel, who didn't have a clue as to what to do. And, and, and God grants him wisdom above everything else that he could have asked for. God grants him wisdom to now is this king who, is, who has allowed his nation to completely go astray. 
who has, has allowed um, these foreign, these, these other gods to come in, and he's completely forgotten about the one true God. And again, to our knowledge, we don't ever read in Scripture that he ever turned back to God, unlike, unlike his father David, right, who knew when he had messed up that was the first place he needed to go. You think about David, and David's described even later in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. In spite of his screw-ups, in spite of his failures, morally, ethically, all those things, God created me a pure heart. He created me a pure heart. I know that when I'm close to you is when I'm at my best. We can't let this, this thing called sin come between us and God. Again, there's a battle going on for our hearts. There's a battle going on for your heart. It's a battle between good and evil. So it's important, it's so important to regularly come clean to God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is, this is not just a statement. This is a promise, people. This is a promise. We have to go and confess, though, our sins to God. See, we see in Solomon's life when he doesn't come clean to God, when he doesn't confess his sins and, and turn back to God, his life ends pretty miserably. And again, in contrast, we look at David, who is still known as a man after God's own heart. He always turned back to God. I want to be the man that always turns back to God because I know I'm going to stray. That's a reality of life. I'm going to stray. I'm going to screw up. I'm going to fail. But instead of wallowing in that and continuing to fail and continuing to, to screw up, I want to be a man that turns back to God. I want to be a man that turns back to God. So what are the next steps? What are the next steps for you? Maybe it's just a time to confess. Maybe you've got some stuff in your life that you just haven't confessed to God. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's time to, to, to get into a life group because you just know you need some extra support. Maybe it's time to find a, a, a close friend that you trust that you can just be accountable with. Share some things with them. Have them share with you and you can both build each other up. These things are all great ways that we protect our hearts, that we, that, we can, that we can be proactive when it comes to our sin, our vulnerabilities. When it comes to regularly coming clean to God. What I'm going to um, do here is this. Uh, as, as I close this morning, um, the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us through two songs. And, and I, what, I, what I would hate to have happen is for you not to take full advantage of this space and this time right now. If it's time for you just to do some work with God, if it's time for you just like this is, you know, we talk about spending time with God, we're giving you the opportunity right here, right now to spend some time with God. Maybe it's a time of confession. Maybe it's just a time of, of praise. Maybe, you know, whatever that looks like in your life want to make sure that you have the opportunity to linger, to be here in this space, just talking to God.
communicating with a God that loves you so much, that just wants to get to know you better, that wants to, wants to, to have more and more influence in your life. And then as, as we close the service after the songs, um, I'm going to have Joe put this, this back up on the screen. We've got members of our PB leadership team that, that are going to be up here after the songs. And if you just want somebody to pray with, if you just want somebody to talk to, if you just kind of feel that, that nug, that tug going like, okay, I, I don't know what my next step is, but I know that I need to get this out because I've been living with this for too long. I don't know what this looks like to even identify where the root of my, my sin, where the root of my, you know, my heart condition lies, but I, I want to do that. I, I need to do that today. Don't miss this time to just work that out with God between you and with God. And if you just need some support, again, our PB leadership team, they'll be up here after the couple songs to pray with you or just to be with you, just to listen. You're not alone. You're not alone in this. God loves you. God desires to be close to you. I, I needed this message this week, personally. God's heart. I want to be a man that reflects God in my life, that everybody that comes and sees, sees me just sees a reflection of him in me. And my, that's my prayer for you as well. So no matter where you are on this journey, whether you're just like, just trying to figure this whole God thing out, or whether you've been following God for the majority of your life, there is still space to get closer to him. There's still time to get closer to him. Take full advantage of that today in this place. God, we just thank you so much for, um, God, the examples that you give us from your word. God, the ways that you, um, even even in a life like Solomon's, God, you give us examples of, of what not to do which can be just as important. Lord, I pray right now that as these folks are are here in this place, Lord, that, that you would just be speaking to them, maybe in a way that they've never heard you before. God, with a clarity that you've never, uh, that they've never had before, just to hear your word, to experience you. God, bring to mind the things that we need to work on right now. And then help us to get get into those roots, those small vulnerabilities, Lord. And help us to do the work that we need to do to be closer to you. Because, God, we know that that's your desire for us. We know that, that, that that's your desire for your children. God, whether we call you Father or not, God, you desire to have a relationship with us. It's, it's this unfathomable uh, thought of the, we turn our back on you, yet you still chase after us. We don't show you love, and, and you still love us. We forget you, that you're there, yet you never forget us. It's mind-blowing, God. 
but it's who you are. So God, we as your children are, are just asking right now that you would just uh, meet us where we are at right now in this space. And in your tenderness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. <clears throat> Knowing that we can't do this on our own. We love you, God, because you have loved us first. These things we ask and pray in your son's precious and holy name.